Alarm Nerds is brought to you by MS and Life Safety. Trying to grow your business but not sure where to start? Check out the show notes to learn about our services along with my contact information. Now let's get started. All right, good morning. We are here with Audrey Pearson, who is joining us for another episode of Alarm Nerds. And Audrey is a consultant who works with security dealers who are looking to grow. She helps them with consulting on sales, management, and scaling. So I want to thank you for being here. Our topic for today is going to be a difficult one, which is how to say no. (laughs) That is a difficult one. Not so much how to say no, but being willing to say no. Yes. It's, uh, I think a lot of, I think in any industry, a lot of companies really struggle when they're, especially when they're starting out with setting boundaries and determining what am I really capable of? And it's very attractive to look at every shiny object and every possible dollar that's out there and jump on it. And I think it's a mistake. And I think you think it's a mistake. And I'd love to talk about that. I absolutely agree with you. And it is one of the hardest things to do, particularly when you're starting. And every dollar counts. Every dollar counts. Yeah. So why don't we start at the beginning? So I think these, I think setting these boundaries is a little bit different as a new business versus an established business, uh, especially when you're looking at what you're capable of doing. So why don't we start with, you know, say I'm a newer business starting out. Maybe I'm a one person operation, or maybe I've got one other person working with me. You know, how do you determine what you're capable of and how do you set those limits for yourself to, in order to be able to actually get your feet on the ground? Well, the first thing that it takes, and and I know this is a dirty word for a lot of people starting a business because they they have all of these ideas, but it's planning. Um, sadly, that's the that's the bad word is the planning, um, the deciding what your target market is, and then sticking with it because you will get opportunities or think that you might be able to attract opportunities that are going to look really great, but not every opportunity is made for you in it, and. Too much business or the wrong kind of business can hurt your company more than less business that's all the right kind of business. And and that's a and unfortunately, if you're not planning for it, it's a hard lesson to learn um, because it, it costs you money and it costs you time. So so how do you decide? Well, you decide what you can handle, what you can handle comfortably, and what you can handle that will not in any way disappoint your customer. You have to be able to deliver what it is that you promise. If if you in any way can't do that, don't don't take it because it will hurt you more to have failed than to not have done it at all. I think you're right. I think disappointing a customer because you promised something you couldn't deliver is very different from disappointing a customer because they asked you to do something and you said, you know, you gave them an honest answer, which is, I can't do that for you. I think there's, I think there's a very different reaction to that. And I think a customer is far more likely to be able to swallow and accept and respect your handling of the situation. If you just come to them and say, look, for one reason or another, whether it's proximity, technology, simple bandwidth, you know, I can't do that. I think they're going to respect that a lot more than you doing a bad job. It's, um, you know, the honesty always, always works best. It, you know, the, the idea is that you're going to be in business for a long time. These people are going to be around for a long time. Folks that believe you because you've been honest with them will come back and they will. And in fact, some customers that you don't work with will actually recommend you. 
because they do believe that you're honest and and you're trustworthy and that becomes somebody that they want to refer to others who do fit within the parameters of what you're doing. Getting a referral or a testimonial from somebody you don't work with is always a strange thing, but a very powerful thing. It really is. And it was a surprise the first time that it happened for me. And um, it's really, it is really powerful. You know, I recommend this person, but you're not using them. Well, they weren't able to handle what I could do, but it is often their hope that as you grow, they will be able to move over to you. And that's also valuable because you're not only building your business right now, you are seeding it for the future. And you really need to be able to do both. So I want to kind of talk about, we'll go down the list, but I want to start with one of the most, I'll say one of the most basic reasons that you should be monitoring types of opportunities that you pursue, which is territory. You know, yes, you know, what physical limitations do you have? What technology, technological limitations you have? But what about just simply they're too far away? So how do you, as a new or established business, how do you set that, that, perimeter and say, here's what I can, here's what I'm capable of. And here's what I'm not. Anything outside of this, we're going to either have to say no or sub it out or, you know, really put our heads together and decide whether we can do this profitably. Again, these are the hard decisions in the beginning when you really want to take every job. And when I say beginning, that's the first, maybe the first three to five years. Uh, we also tend to make decisions as alarm dealers based on wherever our technicians are and wherever our people are. But again, you have to look forward and that's not something that's easy to do if you haven't done it before. But that idea that I have somebody who lives an hour and a half away so I can do all of those jobs, but that person may not be with you for the long haul. And then you've got people that are, are where you are who now are having to drive two hours just to get to a job and two hours back. Now, there are also areas, it really kind of depends on where you are located and what your area of, of work is like. So for example, if I'm in an urban area and there's going to be a lot of traffic, my distance might not be as far, but it still might be as much time as the traffic allows. Where I started my company was in more of a rural area. I'm in one of the, the second largest county in California. So I had customers who were an hour and a half away, straight driving time, almost sometimes two hours away. And they just asked the question, do you come here? They expect to wait and they expect to pay more for the travel time. So in that case, that wasn't a really big deal. But when I went in a different direction where, you know, it took two hours because my guys were sitting in traffic, I can tell you in the beginning, it was great because the money was terrific, but down the road, it became a real problem. And those become the accounts that that at some point you you may end up selling. I think or, 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 or worse, losing, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's an issue that a lot of people don't consider, which is the opportunity cost. But that you might say, you know, we of course we can service this customer. They're, you know, an hour and a half away. It's not that far. And, you know, we need to go and do a service call and it's, you know, we're gonna be on site for an hour, no big deal. But an hour and a half there, an hour on site, an hour and a half back. What if there's traffic? They need to stop for lunch. Now they still have an hour and a half to get back. But, you know, it's the wrong direction. All our other customers are this way. So now it's going to be an extra two and a half hours. And that's time that could have been spent working with customers that were 30 minutes away. And it's on top of that, what are those customers that you're doing this extended drive for? At the same time that you've spent that day doing that service call, could you have put in two four-hour systems with the RMR that's associated with them as opposed to 
a service call that hopefully you did get paid for and hopefully you made a profit on. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but you walked away with no additional RMR. Those kinds of decisions are are important decisions. They they build your company or or don't. I worked with an agency uh, a little earlier on who came to me and said that when the pandemic started, the lockdown hit, they really struggled to distinguish themselves among their competition. So one of the experiments that they tried was they did away with minimums. So they said if they had an installation, so whatever whatever reason they had to go see a customer, they said, we're no longer doing a minimum. We're just going to charge based on time on site. And they said it was very attractive and they got a lot of customers out of it. But realistically, they said, we're in a rural area. If I have my employees driving an hour to this site and they're going to spend 15 minutes there and an hour and a half to that site, and they're going to spend 22 minutes there, I'm not making any money. I have so many customers where I'm underwater. It, I was going to say, in fact, you're losing money. And that's, and that's really the problem. It, it may help you out off an immediate issue, like during the pandemic, when there wasn't the same level of business. But you, you one thing about this business, it's all about the service. It's all about the ongoing. And, it, and you have to be able to support that. I love that idea of, you know, when you have employees that work, you know, satellite employees, not building business around them, because you're right. What if that customer, whatever reason, moves on? retires, they don't work out, they get, you know, they, I don't know, they slap a customer or something. You never know. And now you really never know. Only <laughs> customers somewhere. And now you no longer have any way to service them. Right. And you end up with having to service them either with a sub that you may or may not want to want to use, or you end up doing it with your team that is working out of your main office or, or out of your branch. And they don't want to do those drives. They're resentful. So not only are they doing all of that extra time that you're not making money on, they're resentful when they get there and that's not serving your customer either because that that translates. Customers feel that. How do you feel about subcontracting for projects like that? I, I used to say I don't like it at all and I, and I never wanted to do it. Times change and it is more and more difficult to find technicians. The the answer really is, I think, to remain open to it. What I try to do is make sure that the core business of your company is done by technicians that you maintain control, and, and I don't mean control in a bad way, but that, that you are training and supporting and working with your customers. Subs, to me, should be the things that your folks don't do all the time. So they're doing the locks, they're doing the conduit, the cabling maybe, those those kinds of things, but the things that really serve your business and the services that you provide, I think that people are always more uh, trusting and more confident if if you know, they come in in your shirt and your truck and they know that they've been responsible to you because then you take responsibility for them as well. If there's an issue, if there's a problem, they can call you and they don't feel like they're they're going to have to go through levels and jump through hoops to to get a response. I was in a uh, sales meeting with a client uh, a month or two ago where we were presenting to a customer who knew that they had locations that were way beyond the, you know, a drive, a simple drive to service. And they said, you know, how are you going to handle this? Are you going to just sub out every job or am I going to have to wait weeks for you to get a crew on site when these come up? And I thought that the owner gave a really good answer, which was, I am going to make sure that every new installation is done by 
either, you know, my A team, someone that was trained by my A team, someone that's vetted by my A team. Now, if emergency service comes up, I may have to use a subcontractor. But in those instances, I'm going to make sure that we properly vet them to make sure they can meet the quality standards that we provide. But I'm never going to just go on Craigslist or flip through the, you know, flip through the phone book and say, okay, low voltage. Okay. Yeah. How much, what's your hourly rate? And you know, giving that honest answer to the customer instead of saying, oh, we'll always do it. And then next thing you know, a guy shows up in a, you know, a red uniform instead of a blue uniform. And the customer says, who are these people? I think that honesty went a long way. Absolutely. The honesty always goes a long way. And if I, it, following on what your, your client said, that's exactly the right attitude to take. And then I would even go, you know, the extra line and say, and we will support them by phone. So they're not going to be out there alone. They're going to be talking to one of our folks who, you know, can get online with their system or whatever the the other options are. But yes, they're we're always going to be involved. We will always know what's happening with you and and we will direct it. And that way the customer, you know, if the customer knows what the situation is and how it's going to be handled, then and they can make a decision based on that and then they don't get blindsided later. That's fair. Absolutely. So moving on from you know, simple drive time, how do you feel about technology solutions or service offerings where a customer comes to you and says, uh, you know, I'm really interested in X and I've never installed X before. I've never even heard of X. You know, yeah, can I get cert? Can I buy it? Sure. Can I get certified in it? Sure. But I've never done this before. At what point is it worth the risk to keep that customer or earn that customer? And at what point do you say, let me stick to what I'm good at? Well, I love that you framed the question in the in the idea that the customer came to you with the idea of something new that you haven't sold before. What I typically hear is that the salespeople who like the bright, shiny objects and, and they ran into a vendor at a trade show somewhere or an expo and said, oh, I saw this thing. And so I sold it without ever talking to anybody about it. And now the technicians are looking for it. The purchasing department doesn't know what it is. No one knows how to install it. Um, working with with sales teams as often as I do, that we're usually the ones who get lamed for that just by way. Uh, you know, there's alarm companies have to always stay open to what the latest technology is and be willing to look at it. That being said, this partly, it, this goes back to a lot of that planning idea, which is you really do have to decide what it is you're going to sell and what it is that you're going to support. Because the longer your company goes on, the more types of equipment you're going to have. Even if you are with the same manufacturing line, you're going to have different products. And that translates over time into the amount of inventory that you're holding on to, which is where, which is literally cash sitting on shelves. You will have equipment that's sitting on trucks. You will have equipment that is God knows where. Uh, there are going to be a lot of those kinds of things. And so it, it translates into money, not only in the equipment, but also in the training, because you are going to go through technicians. You're going to go through salespeople. Everyone has to learn new products. And so you can sell everything that's out there, but can you support everything that's out there? This I, I've seen a lot of companies where, sure, we'll take over this account for you because we have a guy who used to work for a company that sold that. We know how to do it, blah, blah, blah. And five years from now, nobody knows what the heck it is. Nobody can service it. And the only option with the customer is, I'm so sorry, but we really can't support that. Well, you told me you could when you put it in. Well, you know, now we can't. Um, again, that sticking to what you're best at, you're always going to be able to give the best to your customers. Does it ever happen that you put in something you can't support? Sadly, everybody gets there. Everybody does it once or twice. 
I always try to help people learn those lessons before they learn it from a customer the hard way. I've learned everything the hard way. So. <laughs> well, you're right. It's it's very attractive for that salesperson to just say, yeah, absolutely. Of course. I you want uh, the sale. Yeah. I, I was in a meeting once where I, a company had me on their committee where it was a, um, I don't remember what they called it, but essentially it was evaluating vendor sol solutions. And we were deciding a new option for video intercom systems. And we had, I think, three or four on the table we were discussing. And a salesman came in. And he was like, well, I just sold this. Great news. It's, you know, um, they're really excited about it. They're, they love it. And everyone just looked around. They're like, this wasn't even on our list. What do you mean you sold it? Like, yeah, you know, I sold it. The customer, here's the contract. So, uh -oh. We don't have anybody that knows anything about this. We don't know how to install it. We don't know how to service it. We don't even have a contract with this vendor. What do you mean you sold it? And now you're in a position where do you have a really embarrassing conversation with the customer? Do you scramble and try and fulfill the contract? What do you do? Well, in, in that case, the first conversations with the salesman, with the salesman. <laughs> and, and, and the process and the standards and, and the, yeah. the, sales, the sales handbook. Um, and so hopefully that doesn't happen. I'm a big believer in, in product development committees, just like what you were <laughs> sitting on. And, and, and I think it's critical because these kinds of things really end up hurting the company. So, you know, the, what's the conversation around it? Well, the first one is maybe we should be looking at this one, or at least let's look at it and see whether there's any value to it or not. The, the next step is if you decide it's not something that you want to do is to go to the customer and essentially sell them on an upgrade to something else that you believe is better that your salesman unfortunately just didn't quite have the experience to know. So you end up taking in a, a technician or a sales engineer or in some some management position where somebody can speak to why what you're going to what you want to offer them is better. But you do still you can't just swap it out. You have to tell them. You have to explain why. But I would do it in a in a sales focused way. Here's why this is going to be better than what the what our salesman who had the best intentions wanted to sell you, here's why we think this is better and we like to do this for, unfortunately, in some cases, possibly the same price. So that's that's another consideration depending on how big the job is and um, wouldn't want to lose money over it, but it it might affect the, uh, the gross profit margin on it. So what do you do when you have a customer, whether they're a prospect or an established customer looking to do additional work? who is adamant that they want something that you know is the wrong something, whether it's going to be because you just know you don't trust that equipment, uh, you have a bad experience with the supplier, you know that, you know, you know it's going to violate code for where they are, or maybe it's just simply, it's, you know, your license doesn't allow you to do it and you're not going to, you know, it's not worth it to take a risk to do something that you're not qualified to do. You know, how do you how do you address that with the customer? Well, it absolutely has to be addressed. And there's really two two things there that, that you mentioned. One is a choice and one, in my opinion, is not a choice. So let's start with the not a choice first. So if it's not something that you are licensed to do, if it's something that's outside of code that is not allowed to be done, then that that has to be a no because you are not just protecting that. You're not trying to just satisfy that customer you have. You have a business to protect. You have the employees to protect. Everything that you do that could affect your business negatively based on licensing and liability and all of those things, you have a responsibility as a business owner or manager to to do the right thing. Um, you know, I, I've been asked to do things like that. I've been 
been asked to put cameras in a bathroom, which obviously we absolutely said no. Um, and I don't go to that restaurant anymore either, but that's the <laughs> swim. Um, but that is because, because somebody will do it, you know, at some point somebody will do it, but it will not be on our license. It will not be on something that, that we're going to do. So that needs to be, that needs to be an absolute. And that has to be something that all of your company understands and is never, never a question. This is not code. Now, then there become things that are choices. So there's a couple of things there. One is this is absolutely what I want. You know, you explain why it is that you don't carry it, why it is that you don't install it, why it is, you know, at some point you, depending on the job, depending on the customer, if it's a one-off, I'm still willing to walk away from it. If it's something that is perhaps an up and coming kind of thing, I, for example, remote video monitoring is, is up and coming now and doing coaching classes on it, training on it. And, and that's a big deal. That's not going anywhere. People need to learn about that. That's something that, in my opinion, take, take a look at. Maybe this will end up being your first customer. But if it's something that you know is not going to be something that you're interested in doing, then it's always good to have colleagues in the business who are, you, you compete with other people, but you can be friendly competitors too. Maybe not with everybody, but there ought to be folks that, that you do work with that you can trust to say, you know what, we don't do this, but they do it. And hopefully they're not going to try and steal your customers. Hopefully that's the kind of, of, you know, relationship that you have over the years. And those are worth forming. This is why alarm associations are important because it's good to have those relationships. There are going to be times where you just need some help. Uh, I think that comes with maturity. Yes. You know, a lot of these, you know, I, I'm giving you all of these answers. Did I know all of these answers in the first three years? Absolutely not. Did I learn them all the hard way? Well, a lot of them. Yeah. So, which which is why I try to get out there and, and help people with those, same as you do, because, you know, if you can avoid those mistakes, every one of those mistakes is either embarrassing or costly or time consuming or all three and avoiding them is a really good thing to do. So. But, but if it's if it's against code, you know, the other thing that I want to say too is when there's something that you have recommended to a customer as part of their system and they and you know that it's important, you know, my take is I will go down to a basic, the most basic system possible, and then we don't go any farther. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I will, will tell my salespeople, we're we're not doing less than this, but I also do recommend that you do this and this based on your location, and here's why. The why is important. And if the customer says, no, I absolutely don't want it, okay, that's fine. But if it's something that we really have seen a lot of, we know that this is going to be a potential problem moving forward. I have my salespeople write a note on the contract that says additional motion detectors have rec been recommended in these locations, customers decline, have them initial it. It's not a big deal if they really don't want it, but it will make them think about it, number one, before they sign that off, that you felt so strongly about it that you were willing to do it. And second of all, it prevents that I was broken into and your salesman didn't tell me that I needed to do this. And now you're going to need to, I'm going to have to file a claim. And customers lie. <laughs> they do. And that's the kind of thing that you just want to be sure to protect yourselves from. And it's, you know, a simple sentence and they initial it. And now everybody, everybody moves on. And we wish everybody luck. <laughs> I think that's a very reasonable thing to say, which is that, you know, a customer is going to want to try and you know, avoid unnecessary costs, but asking them to initial or sign 
something saying, I've recommended this and you're, you're, and you're with, well within your rights, but you're choosing not to do it. It's like a splash of cold water in the face. Exactly. Exactly. They have to really consider whether they want to initial that or not, because now they, they, it's very clear what they're trading off. You are trading off these dollars for, for this risk. And, and that's okay. You're doing enough that I'm willing to put my name on it in my company, but I'm also not willing to, you know, I, I'm not your insurance company. We all know that our contracts say that, but at the end of the day, when, when you get broken into, you're going to come after me and say, well, why didn't you tell me? And I'm going to tell you that I did. And here you acknowledge that I did and, and you didn't want to do it. And then man, that, that's perfectly fair, but the risk is yours and not ours. Should the salesperson be empowered to have that conversation or should that be the business owner? I think the salesperson can have that conversation. Um, one of the ways that this came up is I had a salesman who had gone out to not a big office, but you know, just, the customer just wanted the hallway, motion detector in the hallway, but they had side offices with big panes of glass or easy to get into. And they had equipment in those side offices. And he said, I really recommend that you put some motions in these ones where you're leaving all of this equipment because you don't even have window coverings. No, 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 I don't want it. I don't want it. Well, of course he got broken into. And first thing he did, send a letter to the alarm company that says, we were broken into. Your guy didn't tell me I should, blah, blah, blah. And we went, all right, well, this is easy. And and there's and there's the little note. And there, because he did, you know, I mean, and and yes, it was in the proposal. And, you know, yes, we can defend ourselves, but the the you know, part of what you do is is what you offer, and part of what you protect liability wise is what you you didn't install mm -hmm. and to prevent. Because if, if I have to get my insurance company involved and they have to defend me, I still have costs. I still have aggravation. I still have all the rest of it. The customer looks at it and goes, oh, right, I signed off and said I didn't want it. Mm -hmm. Stops it right there. And now I don't have to worry about, you know, the terms of my contract. I saw an interesting uh, conversation the other day where somebody reached out to a vendor and a manufacturer and said, uh, I have a customer who, I don't remember if it was, I don't know what the application was, but they said the, they really, every sensor has to be black. Uh, we're putting in this environment and every sensor has to be black. They don't want, they want them to be discreet. And the manufacturer said, I'm sorry, you know, this doesn't come in black. Um, we found that in an application like that, it overheats. So it has to be, you know, white or almond or whatever, these lighter colors, or it gets too warm. And the guy said, well, can I just paint it? And they said, you're not listening to me. You can, yes, you can paint it, but it's going to overheat. And when it doesn't work properly, you now have the curse of knowledge that I've just told you it should not be black. And now you have to share it. You can't hide that now from your customer that you now need to get in writing to your customer that, you know, is option. Your option A is you go to the customer and say, this should not be black. If I make it black, it may not work. Option B, which is the smarter answer is you go to your customer and say, no, you're the expert. Exactly. I'm sorry. It doesn't come in black. I wish it did. I really do, but it can't happen. And I've made the recommendation. I think this product is the best product for this application. I think this makes sense. I think this is what we should do. And I'm sorry, it can't be discreet. Right. And that's really the only thing you can do because when the customer goes and, and paints it later, and often they do, I mean, we've all seen uh, plastics that don't take the paint because, yeah. they're not, because they're covering over the race lettering that says, do not mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it looks horrible. Um, and and it fails, you know, they've voided the warranty because, you know, they've done something that we know is not going to work. And, you know, and you and you have to tell the customer that those are the kinds of customers where 
when it does fail and the, the company that did decide to go ahead and let them do it or you know they found a company that didn't tell them so that they could move ahead with them because now they could look you know supposedly legitimately say they didn't know now they can come back to you the next time and go oh you know you guys did the right thing mm -hmm. and and you know they're going to be customers who are not your customer and maybe they will never come back to you because they are going to continue to buy and paint because they're there may be a customer that's willing to pay for that loss. You know, yes, I'm going to have to replace it every six months, but I'm willing to do that based on this is what we have to have. And, and that's the only way we're going to do it. Uh, okay. Uh, but, you know, there are also going to be customers who uh, just want to do it the cheapest way and, and they will continue to pay for that over and over again. We can, we can only uh, tell people as much as we, they'll only hear as much as we can, they can hear as much as they'll take in. We are the expert that that value add, that's what we bring as, as the expert. As long as we're honest, that's the best that we can do. And I think, I think by presenting it as, you know, the expert advising on the correct way to address your customer's problem is very different from just saying, that's a terrible idea. Right. <laughs> that's how you, that's how you, yes. that's how you, that's how you avoid burning that bridge and making the customer feel dumb. Instead, right. you want you want to look smart without the customer feeling dumb, and that's a very delicate balance. But if you don't do it properly, you burn that bridge. The customer doesn't work with you, and they will never work with you. And if you don't do it at all, then you end up with residual liability. You end up with systems that you're trying to service that you knew would be a problem. Uh, the, I believe in one of the things that I always am training salespeople in is you can't just tell people what to do. Yes, you're the expert. Yes, you're the professional, and, but you have to tell them why. Because if you don't, then they don't have a basis on which to make that decision. All they can do is trust you. And while I want them to trust me and, and recognize me as, as the expert, I need to be able to tell them why I'm telling them this. And if I can't, then maybe I'm really not the expert and maybe I'm just repeating something back that, that I've been taught, but I don't understand. That so would really, point, that's important. So how do you, I mean, it's kind of a difficult thing to say, but how do you fire a customer? Or how do you how do you walk away? It's um it's so sad. <laughs> and and I've done it. And I I uh, the the first time I ever ever did it, I did it with a huge customer, which was really scary, um, because they were paying me a, a bunch of hundreds of dollars a month, which at the time in an early business was so much money. Uh, but at some point, they are costing you more than you are making from them. Sometimes it's that they're dragging you into their internal politics by using your security to play off against other people. They're locking people out. They're saying this person can or can't have control. I've, we've been in all kinds of strange situations. And the first time that I had to do it, it, it was, I don't know, four or $500 a month. It's a lot of money in, in uh, a, you know, a $35 RMR world at the time. And, um, and I, I just had to say, you know, I am really sorry that we can't support what it is that you are are looking at doing and and you know i'm i'm happy to refer you um which in some cases i will and um and some cases i won't depending on how bad they are <laughs> i i did that with a customer and later the owner of the customer was remodeling a house in a very high-end residential home and the contractor called me and he said he would like you to do in his home what you had done for his business and i said Perfectly, perfectly honestly, you know, I let them go as a customer and I'm not sure that 
he really is aware of that because it was his management that did it. Um, you know, you might want to just check with him and be sure that this is what he wants to do. And uh, and he said, oh, yes, he knows. And he thinks you were right because they were being idiots. <laughs> and and he had us do do his house. I mean, I, honestly, it was, it was to me, that was like the the most sincere um, compliment I could get, which was this businessman who had been very successful said, you know what? You, you were right to step out of that. Those mm -hmm. those folks were crazy. Uh, so and so it is difficult. It's also difficult to walk away from potential business. Um, and there have been times that I've done that as well. Sometimes it's, it, it can be considered, you know, the takeaway close, which is I'm really sorry I can't, you know, negotiate this with you or that wouldn't be the word I'd use, but really sorry I can't make this work for you in, in the price range that you want. I'm happy to refer you to somebody else, but, you know, I, I can't do anything more. And, um, you know, but I absolutely, the biggest thing, do not burn the bridge. Feel free to call me with any questions that you have. I'm always happy to answer security questions for you, whether or not you are a customer. A lot of times those people will come back and sometimes you will get that job too because they recognize, you know, that not everybody's negotiating tactics are business-like. Some of them are, okay, you need to just tell me, forget it, that's it, I'm done. I'm walking away. Oh, all right, well, then she's not going to do anything else for me. I might as well just go ahead and accept the contract. Uh, sometimes it is... That they're trying to use that as a bluffing, as a bluff, as a sales tool. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, and you you let yourself in for that sometimes if you're willing to negotiate based on money. That's that's based on nothing else. Well, I'll just give you a ten percent discount. Mm -hmm. Why? It, you know. So obviously, if you're willing to give me ten, I'm going to try for fifteen. And if you give me fifteen, I'm going to try for twenty. There's where's the bottom? because you're not trading it off against changing design or different equipment or different services. If you're just doing it for no reason, then I'm, I'm going to keep trying. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I'm Brenda, you've invited them to do that. So yeah. you, know. you can, you can never make it just about price or, That's right. you know, I, I, I had one of my first sales mentors when I first started in sales. say so I never, I don't negotiate. If, if, if the price needs to change, something has to come out. It's that simple. And that's and that's a negotiation. And don't get me wrong about that. It's just not a price negotiation. Yeah. It's it's a system negotiation. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm willing to do that all day long. You know, one of the things I teach salespeople is somebody comes in and says, you know, I'm interested, but and people go, you know, a lot of salespeople go, oh no, now they want to negotiate. I go, yeah, they're in. They want to work yeah. with us. That means you've already decided they want you. It's just a matter of reporting it. Now we just have to figure out a way to make that that comfortable for both. Yep. So we're but we're in. It's it's up to me to win it or lose it. Now it's on yep. us. So yeah. So we're out of time, but I think there's a lot here. Yes. <laughs> so I think I think we should do I think we should do a part two. I um, I think, but we're out of time. So okay. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And thank I'm you. not going to say goodbye because we're going to do another one. Okay. And. Uh, uh, Audrey, I'm going to post a link to Audrey's site so you can learn more about Audrey. Uh, on the notes for this episode. And thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. I'd lo love to do another one. I Absolutely. This is, this is my life. I love what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk soon on when to say no. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Bye-bye.